This week on FX Guide TV. We take a look at more from SIGGRAPH in Vancouver with CineSync and Shotgun, as well as the new Deadline and Krakatoa releases from Thinkbox. This and more coming up next. Hello and welcome to FX Guide TV. Vancouver has proven to be a great place to host SIGGRAPH, which of course begs the question, will SIGGRAPH move further afield? Hmm, who knows? SIGGRAPH 2012 will be back in LA August 5th to 9th, but why not have it in London or even in Sydney sometime after that? And while I'm on the subject, let me plug SIGGRAPH Asia in Hong Kong in December. FX Guide is the official podcast of SIGGRAPH Asia and we will have a host of great interviews leading up to the end of the year and from Hong Kong. So listen out for those at fxguide.com. But for now, let's catch up with the boys in Canada. Thanks for that, Angie. We're actually having a lot of fun here at Seagraph. A lot of maybe, maybe too much fun. A little too huh? much fun. Some, lots of sake, plum wine, beer. But again, learning a lot, uh, just actually attending the session and so forth, and frankly, just simply also running into you, those of you who are watching, our FX Guide viewers, FX PhD members, and so forth. It's really nice for those of you who know us from seeing us on camera to come up and say hi, because we like hearing from you and uh, that you appreciate what we're doing. Yeah, I had an example of someone that came up to me the other day. They said they'd done our physics course over at FX PhD. From there, they'd done a lot of research and uh, done some, bought some books, you know, really sort of studied up. Uh, with the aim of joining one of the major effects houses to work doing fluid sims and they had landed that job. They literally had landed the job as being in the sims department on a major motion picture film. And we get that actually quite often and I think it's just one of the best parts of our job. So thank you to everyone that's come up and seen us and thanks you guys for watching. Yeah, a lot of FX PhD members up here. And again, it is a really great show to learn at, really great to get ideas and stuff from presentations from movie studios, but there's also a lot going on with manufacturers. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now we're gonna cover a few of those. Uh, there's some, some actually friends, <laughs> actually some Australians to kick off the show. Uh, we're gonna talk to the guys from CineSync, are actually based for Rising Sun Research in Adelaide and uh, came out of that uh, community and We've used actually CineSync, mm -hmm. which is a sort of a tie what we're talking about with FX PhDs. I think I mentioned in a previous FX Guide uh, TV. It has up until now, John, been a downloaded app, and they're actually kind of broadening out and moving, as you'll hear, into mm -hmm. doing it as a web-based app. Um, so here at the show, you've got a, well, I guess a technology showing of what looks like a new product. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, we've developed a new product called CineSync Online, uh, which is the functionality of CineSync, so being able to review video with someone externally, but to be able to do it entirely within a browser. Okay, now I have CineSync Pro and we use it over at FXPHD. Yep. So is this like the next version of that or something different? It's a different thing. I mean, the idea with uh, CineSync Online is to take the essence of CineSync, the synchronization, the video synchronization and the annotation, uh, and keep it simple. There are a lot of things that you can't do in an online version that you can do in the pro version. So we see, we see them as two separate products. Okay, so for example, we just our last CineSync session was literally in stereo because we were reviewing stereo material. That's probably something that you physically can't do inside the browser, is that right, or you can? There are some real limitations with HTML5, which we built the online version in. Uh, those things may build out in the future, but at this stage we're anticipating it's going to be a, a simpler, um, easier, lighter product to use. Um, but not necessarily uh, appropriate for the, the bigger reviews with higher resolution material. Yeah, because that was the second thing I was going to say, is that 
unlike what we do normally where we would just make sure that those files are locally at both ends of the expected um, session, here we're anticipating that they would be sort of, or not streamed, but down from a single server, is that right? Yeah, exactly. So when a guest joins a session, they just click a link and they join the session, the media loads automatically, unlike CineSync where you have to have the media in advance. So for many, I guess, commercials or possibly even film people, this might be a good client review thing because maybe I could start doing this with a less, less kind of tech uh, overhead so that they would be able to more easily join in that kind of a review. Is that the sort of plan? Yeah, absolutely. That's the intention. And we are aiming CineSync Online at a broader audience than just the film market. So uh, it's anticipated anticipated to be used in education um, and other areas that maybe don't have the, the technological um, know-how that the film industry comes with. Plus, uh, you know, a really big file like a DPX sequence or anything else like that is just not going to work well in a browser environment. So we're presuming, right. I guess, a QuickTime is a kind of a, you know, primary way of getting that material. Yeah, well, because we're doing it in HTML5, we're actually working in HTML5-supported video. Uh, we can upload a QuickTime and it transcodes to the appropriate format depending on the browser you're using. And that would also make the keys a little easier to work, wouldn't they? Because uh, I presume that can all sort of, sort of simplify down, so it's much more, obviously needs to be a key still, but, yeah. but there's sort of a, a minimum level of access required for security, but beyond that it should be a little easier to access? Yeah, essentially the, the owner can start a session using their session details, but the, the guest can join just with a single link and the link contains the key. So it's an encrypted link that contains the key and it contains all the access information and, and where to get the media. So it all happens automatically. But in the classic sense, I'm still going to be able to draw on the screen and say, no, 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 move the car over here and that's going to all happen. Absolutely. I'm going to scroll, it's going to scroll at their end. Yep. And there's really no reason why I can't have multiple clips either, is there? No, you can have a whole playlist of clips and it has the functionality you'd expect from CineSync just without all the additional features that you get from the Pro version. And so how has the Pro version been going? Because obviously since we saw you last, there's been a number of big improvements and it's been mm. getting more uh, and more widely used, but also just having to deal with more diverse projects. Yeah, well, we're getting a lot more interest in using it for stereo work. Um, there's been a lot of companies that are using uh, in their stereo pipeline now for doing stereo reviews. Um, so that's been a big kind of growth for us and, and making all that really better down, and that's been really solid. Uh, and also the integration we've been doing with companies like Shotgun Software and really heavily integrating into their um, processes so that we can move information back and forth from uh, production uh, databases and keep the communication really clear and simple within a, a, a project timeline. Because one of the things that CineSync was always really good doing is capturing director notes in the sense that the director yep. says this, you've got that. But now I understand that will feed in, like literally the frame with those notes on it can actually feed, in, feed into Shotgun. Yeah, absolutely, with a single export function. So you just say export to Shotgun and it all goes. And Shotgun, because you've, we, can, we can create the sessions from Shotgun, Shotgun knows what the file is, where to find it, where to put the notes back to, so it's all there. You don't have to do any other work than just click a button. Okay, so Shotgun itself isn't an asset management program. It's obviously more of a planning project management program. Yep. But obviously if you've got a team assigned to a shot and then that shot has a review clip, mm -hmm. the fact that those notes can go back in and then track back must make it really nice for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And it means through the different versions of the shot, you can go back and check the comments on each and see the progression of a shot and what's been done and what still needs to be done. Oh, so finally we can come back to them and say, but you didn't say that. <laughs> Yes, you could do that if you wanted. So the Pro product's going really well, obviously, still. So mm -hmm. this is not your departure from it. But no. I can't actually yet buy the online product. That's going to, we haven't sort of set a price for that yet, have we? Uh, no, the, pro, the online product is still a prototype at this stage. Uh, we brought up the SIGGRAPH to show people. We've got a lot of customers who ask for this kind of functionality. So we're showing it to them and seeing what they think and whether it meets their needs. And this stage, the reception's been 
uh, amazing. People okay. are really like so it. So I want it. I mean, I actually really do want it. Yeah. <laughs> so when can I get my hands on it if I'm a customer? Uh, we're at this stage we haven't got a release date for it. Uh, we're anticipating having something in at least beta release towards the end of the year. Um, so. Hopefully it'll happen sooner than that, but it, you, know, you never know with these things. Sounds like a good Christmas present. Yeah, that's the aim. Well, I think the web app idea is a really great development because the folks at Hootenanny, who I'm partnering with, working on ad agency commercials, things like that. Oh, totally, yeah. Um, there's kind of a barrier of use with CineSync, the standalone version. And with this, by having it under the web and downloading right there, I think it's going to be a lot of more approachable to those who are less technical in nature. Yeah, and the really great thing, as you heard in that interview, is that it integrates now with Shotgun, or will be, um, mm -hmm. theoretically. And so I followed up with that by going to see the guys at Shotgun. So Shotgun's here at the show, and you seem to be going very well. It seems to be very popular down there. How's Thank it been you. working out for you? It's been a great show, really exciting. Uh, the booth has been packed, so people seem to be really into what we're doing this year. So you guys are really good, obviously, at project management and, and all that that entails. Obviously not specifically asset management, but uh, you know, obviously that's a separate issue. But it is important that you guys are, are working so closely with many other companies to make sure that various assets, and especially the metadata of those assets, mm -hmm. can be found by the people that need them. Because it's one thing to get some information, it's another thing to be able to actually reliably be able to use that information. That's right. Yeah, we, um, we see with our clients, they have information flow problems, usually. Hard time connecting the dots. I think the applications and the people seem to be working in isolation often. So we started focusing mostly on production management, but what we've ended up building is a, a data hub that can track and organize all the information and connect the dots. Uh, because we have an API, we've been able to integrate these other applications, and so, uh, we can get information from them to the right people. We know a lot of information about what's happening in workflow inside the studio, which artist is working on what version. So there's information that comes out of a sentencing session about that version. We can get it right to the artist. So we are able to connect the dots. I think the other really good thing is clearly every project is different. And what I like is the ease of flexibility inside the, the software of being able to like set up a new tab if you want to do that. And so if right. you suddenly had some file information, you know, and that wasn't the structure that you'd use on the previous project, you don't need to phone up IT to kind of adjust that if the person that's operating is like a producer. That's right. That was the main strategy of ours is hook up the data jocks. There's always some key data jocks in the studio. They're usually the people that have a ton of spreadsheets, FileMaker databases, and uh, they'll find a way to work around you if you're not helping them manage their data. So we focus, we've been focusing a lot on enabling non-technical people, power jocks, to support the way they work and the nuances of the project. Uh, not only what data they want to track in a customizable schema, but also how they want to look at it in customizable layouts. And enabling that group of people has uh, been incredibly important. And seeing what they've built has been amazing. We've kind of created this platform and we've watched people build great things. So what I think is great is for some of those maybe less technical people, you actually have uh, people that work for you that will go out in the field literally and sit down and try and understand you know, my project and then help build it up. Because the individual can tweak it, but it's like stops that you know, barrier of entry of feeling like, how am I going to get this even set up? That's right. Over time, uh, we've gotten better at developing really good starting points. We have templates now for different types of industries, so visual effects, feature animation, video games, large studios, small studios. Those templates are based on how we see these studios using our software, but it's just a starting point. Um, and you're right. We've decided to invest in helping our clients build the right tool instead of asking them to learn our tool first. Uh, so we've built a team, we call them the street team, 
sort of like our version of uh, uh, support, I guess. They're they're like pipeline consultants. They all kind come of out the, of production. The geek desk no longer behind the desk. That's right. Yeah, the genius bar out yeah. in the field. And so these people um, empathize with what's happening in production. They're all they all have production experience, but they know our software inside now. They've also seen lots of things, so they they see patterns they recognize. So they'll partner with the studio and they'll work with the data jocks and show them around and get feedback and we'll iterate with them. And over time, we're able to hand over the keys. Uh, it's working really well for us. Yeah, I can imagine that you know you might think that my project is completely different from anything anyone's ever right. done before, but in many respects, there must be a lot of you know overlap. But it's hard to, to sort of snapshot that. So you guys can act as kind of a, uh, I mean, a way of not only facilitating that on a hands-on approach, but actually benefiting from the, all the other projects you you think people literally from single individuals right through to sort of huge projects, right? That's right. Like really big studios, like Dr. D, Digital Domain, DNEG, to small studios, like little independent projects with distributed teams. And when we started, we thought, everyone told us, there's no way you're going to build this that will work for everyone. You can't build a, something that will work out of the box. And so we thought maybe that was true. But, so we built something really flexible. So we started to see how people were designing and building their tools. And over time, we noticed, we noticed patterns. And actually, I think things are more similar than people realize. Um, we can see things that seem to be common across all different types of production. People use different names. Um, there's little nuances in workflow. Uh, but I think largely, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of similarities. And so we help, we help translate between how people think of their world and how our software works and the best practices that we've seen out there. But without the kind of SQL database -y kind of front end that means that artists go running with hands over heads screaming. I mean, that's right. It yeah. is really friendly software to use. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we've been focused on that a lot, actually. We've been growing our design team. Just uh, hired a new head of design. Uh, usability is, is incredibly important. People don't want to look at spreadsheets uh, of data. And um, so we've been working really hard on, on making it feel very visual, very intuitive. I'm browsing through the information, I'm connecting, I'm getting to where I need to go intuitively instead of having to uh, you know, mess around with the uh, under the hood. What I think is interesting about that, John, is that it isn't just that uh, those guys are hooking up with, say, CineSync, they're actually hooking up with a lot of different applications and different other sort of equipment manufacturers. Yeah, certainly true, and it seems like a really nice standard to set on and keeping that data and infrastructure enter at once used in multiple locations. And a great example of that is Deadline from the folks at Thinkbox Software. Uh, they actually kind of started in business last year, a spin-off of sorts, I guess, from uh, Prime Focus here in Vancouver. And I caught up with Chris Bond to find out more about their integration in the new release of Deadline and Shotgun. Uh, why don't we first start out with, uh, I think, a product that was updated recently, more recently to Seagraft, and that's um, a Deadline. Yeah. What's new in the release of Deadline? Well, we did a lot of things. Like, normally in a point release of a product, you're doing a lot of bug fixes, maybe a little performance enhancements or something. But we had a lot of uh, stuff on our roadmap for Deadline 5, and so we were able to, we had to split some of that off to Deadline 5.1. So the number one new feature inside Deadline 5.1 that we're excited about is the ability to launch as many uh, render nodes on one computer as you want. So you can take uh, Deadline Slave before you run Deadline Slave, and you could do a number of concurrent jobs, but they all had to be the same application. So you'd be running, you know, just an instance of Nuke or an instance of Maya or whatever. But now you can run, you know, Softimage, Maya, Nuke, Blender, Cinema 4D, a Metal Ray render, all at the same time on one computer. Because we had a lot of people who call us and say. We have you know, a job, and it's only taking 10 or 15% of the CPU. What's wrong with Deadline? Right. And we're like, well, you know, with today's CPUs, I'd have 10 cores or 20 cores or whatever you have in a computer. 
some of these applications don't always use all the CPU utilization, or there's you know network traffic or some mm -hmm. other instance. So you're able to actually run these things. And what's interesting is that you can actually run them from within a virtual machine as well. So you can run uh, Nyad or Blender or something in a Linux VM or virtual mm -hmm. machine at the same time as you're rendering on Windows on the same computer. So we, we were showing that demonstration off where we had a uh, Softimoz job, a Maya job, and a Nyad job running in Linux. The other two are running on Windows on the same computer all at once. And it was great. You know, so you're able to do that, and we have a 40-core machine here at the show, and we're able to spawn, you know, basically it's a render farm in one box. Yeah, it's got to so be a tremendous improvement from an end-user perspective in far type of performance and throughput. Well, the, the, the big advantage, I think, that, that's unique is that, you know, usually you have a couple different classes of jobs. For example, you might have a compositing job, which might not take a lot of processing power, but takes a lot of network bandwidth. Mm -hmm. Then you might have a simulation job, which takes a huge amount of processing power, but not very much network bandwidth. And the two of those could run on the same computer, which could effectively double your rendering. And mm -hmm. I've had clients who've actually said, you know, I've run one simulation or render or process on all 16 process computer processors on my, on my machine, and I can run four at the same time, and when I come in in the morning, they're almost at the same place. Right. You know, they're, they're only a little bit further. Sometimes the, all those extra CPUs don't get you that much further, but when you can do them in parallel, it also reduces potentially your network traffic. I mean, mm -hmm. if you have a lot of data on a big machine, then you don't have to have the same kind of infrastructure to support you know, 200 or 300 or 400 computers if you have 10 computers mm -hmm. with 40 processors on each one, for example. So it's pretty exciting, and that's, that's actually one of the biggest features that's been getting a lot of interest in Deadline 5.1, and that's a change in our paradigm of how we use Deadline. The, the other thing that we've done is all of the uh, shotgun integration, and yeah, the shotgun integration and drafts are all complete inside Deadline 5.1 out of the box. So basically, if you have um, uh, shotgun setup, you can just drop in deadline and everything will connect directly to shotgun and back. And what's interesting about the approach that we're using is that you know, all of your data will flow from your project or your scene all the way up into shotgun and get stored there, but you can actually bring it back in as well. So we have a submission script to submit a job from shotgun to deadline. So in, in the example of draft, our um, templating software. It's a little simple compositing engine that will do slates and templates and like reformat. So if you have, you know, a delivery that includes um, uh, D1 and HD and Vimeo and a format for Apple TV or right. you have 16 formats, you can just pre-generate all those different formats and perhaps some of them need to be watermarked. Other ones need to have like a frame counter. Mm. And so rather than having to do those as separate jobs, you can create a chain where all of those get a get done at once and that data gets pulled from shotgun. So you don't have to type in all the information right. or the name of the user or the shot or the camera, whatever. As long as it's in the database, you can just pull all of that and you can launch it. It's improving efficiency and probably minimizing errors as well when you're pulling that kind of stuff in not without the manual data and stuff like that. Exactly. I mean, the whole, the whole idea is that, you know, large visual effects companies and production companies have databases and large pipelines, but generally the smaller mid-sized facilities don't have all these automated process. And so you end up with, you know, I've seen small companies with 15 people that say, oh, you know, what we have to do is we have to deliver, you know, for a commercial client. We have to give them 17 formats. And if you have to give them 17 formats, that means there's a lot of time with somebody sitting there 
building and doing all of those formats. And so this way you can automate that whole chain, make a one button solution to say, we're just rendering, hit a button, you got all your formats, all, all the different watermarks, all the different. Actually, before we go on to Krakatoa, that's an interesting point because I think what your software does is being born from a facility. You're, you're actually kind of making it approachable to people who don't have that in-house development staff because the big facilities obviously have. Yeah. Lots of people who can do that, but you're providing those tools for the small to medium sized Yeah, and that's funny. actually one of the things we announced today was we have a professional services group to customize integration for companies and take a lot of the IP that we have that it's difficult to understand it as a product, but it's the glue that pulls things together. So, for example, if someone says, well, all my data is stored in Excel spreadsheets mm -hmm. or FileMaker, and I don't have the expertise to connect all of that to deadline, that's something that we can deal with and handle. So recently we did a, a job with Blur Studios where we did uh, custom development, and they're quoted as saying, you know, it felt like we were an internal. And so it's sort of, we're kind of like that, you know, IBM model for business or S&P, you know, for the big Fortune 500, but for visual effects. The idea is we have all this code technology and we can integrate and customize the tools for requirements. So. Yeah, and the other thing is I think a lot of people don't realize is frankly it is also a lot cheaper than getting someone in-house, getting them up to speed, getting yeah. them because you've, you've made that leap in knowledge already that you're just sharing. Exactly, and a lot of the stuff we have is you know, based on libraries that are used, like technology libraries that we've written that we can glue together in different ways to create tools much faster yeah. than someone else. So you know, in the case of the Blur example, I think it was two weeks to do something that probably internally would, would have taken months with their own staff. So. Okay, yeah. so that's a lot of infrastructure plumbing. Yeah. Let's get to uh, Krakatoa, which is new. And let's just start with the basic. You've broken out in a couple products, so you have a new product, but let's just talk about what's new in Krakatoa from right. the root level. Well, Krakatoa is the particle rendering toolkit. Um, it started off as a way for us to generate you know, hundreds of millions of particles for uh, feature films like Superman mm -hmm. and so forth. And uh, we've gotten to the point now where we're at version two, it's just announced, and <clears throat> We've, we've taken the toolkit and we've expanded upon it. Because originally, it was just basically a raw renderer, and now it's much more than that. We've got people using um, the system to not only render smoke and dust and ethereal things like in Green Lantern and Thor. Uh, it was used in um, Transformers this summer. Basically, it's now you can do uh, surfaces and other elements. So for example, hair. We have a new feature set inside Krakatoa, which does hair from any spline data set. So you can spawn and render hair incredibly fast with the ability now to support uh, volumetrics inside other renderers. Mm -hmm. So for example, in V-Ray and uh, other renders, you can render reflections and mats right inside your scene at the same time. So mm -hmm. it can integrate really well. Additionally, we have uh, particle types that create you know, fractal noise or other mm -hmm. weird optical lens effects or um, we're not really sure how far people can take it because we right. haven't seen a lot of things, but we've seen some really interesting artistic elements and images from this that I think will, people will be able to use in commercials or, or spawn a lot of other things. And then we have clients using uh, Krakatoa uniquely to cr for surfaces, for volumes, yeah. because, because it's, it's, it's tough to explain, but it's a volumetric rendering engine of particles where the idea is that you know every dust mode in a, in a smoke cloud could be a point, and that builds up and creates a huge volume. That's how you get the mm -hmm. unique look that Krakatoa has. Um, the idea is to have billions and billions of particles. In fact, we have a machine here that was able to render seven billion particles on one frame all at once on the right. computer. And you know, it took like 30 something minutes, but the point was this huge, massive mm -hmm. amount of data. And so with that kind of data, you can start mimicking like the volume of 
of your face or muscle tissue by not just doing the surface. So instead of modeling like here's the skin, you can take a MRI scan or CT scan of a volume data and start building up the skeletal and muscular. So we have uh, clients in the clinical medical industry using Krakatoa to render volumetrics where they can start making the skin transparent and seeing the veins and all the musculature throughout. And so I, I start seeing these images and I say, wow, this would be really great for doing humans and, mm -hmm. and, and, and creatures because you can, you get that, instead of a shader that's mimicking light passing through a substance, when there's really no substance, you really have volume and density for everything yeah. built up at once. So that's pretty interesting for us. In terms of features... But you actually, actually showed some technology earlier. Yes. Kind of using that as well, though, with off-the-shelf product. Exactly, yes, yeah, yeah. One, one of the things... And, uh, it was okay. fun. Yeah, exactly. We have a product coming out called Fathom, which uh, is, is taking the Kinect or other capture devices like that. And it doesn't matter. I mean, we can take LiDAR data and other data sets. But the idea is that you can capture and bring in particles. Because generally, um, uh, we have a tool set. You know, we have Krakatoa, which manipulates and renders particles incredibly quickly. And you can, you can generate you know, particles from, from splines or geometry sources and generate them on the fly and, and render them however you want and manipulate them. But you also have a tool set called Frost, which reconstructs surfaces and meshes from those particles, mm -hmm. which is how you can get data from LiDAR, other surfacing. And then we create a tool that creates particles, and that's called Fathom. And so it generates a data set, of, uh, well, a, a point cloud from something like mm -hmm. the Kinect, 30 frames per second, inside your 3D Studio Max scene. And then you can manipulate those however you want. You can render them in Krakatoa, because it just creates PRTs that you can load directly. You can load them right in the scene and manipulate them, pipe them through your simulation. You can use it to create geometry. You could motion capture yourself, stirring up smoke. You know, I, I had this great idea where an artist could sit there and say, you know, I want the smoke to do this, and he could just do that with his arm stir up the smoke, and then drive his, th his particle right. system, his fume effect simulation, render it with Krakatoa with this whole engine. Or you can capture the geometry and mesh it and have a surface reconstructed. Right. So this becomes this whole pipeline of tools to you know, capture your environment or your animation outside, generate particles, render them, mesh them. And then we have another product called XMesh, which is, is what we did for Blur Studio. It's the custom tool set, which uh, generates a, it's kind of like, um, it's complicated to explain, but it's a, it's a renderable mesh, and it lets you cache and create a, a medium that is transportable to all sorts of different platforms. You can go from Softimage to Maya mm -hmm. with all this data set, so that you can render it in anything, manipulate it however you want, and bring it back and forth, and nothing changes, unless what you want right. to change. Um, so in terms of other features for Krakatoa, it's, it's a little faster. Mm -hmm. People think that's crazy, but it's actually gotten a little bit faster. It's got all these new particle types, and, and Magma Flow 2 is our new... Well, in May, we had added Magma in 1.6, and it was a manipulation toolkit, kind of like a node-based editor that lets you adjust your particles and manipulate how they're seen, the, the textural quali quality, and all those sorts of things, and that's just much more advanced. Right. So there's a lot more features there, including all the hair toolkit stuff to manipulate hair and the strands of hair and how you manipulate geometry and turn it into particles and stuff like that. You've got the tech papers, the presentations, the show floor, but you've also got a lot of other great things like the emerging tech exhibit as well as the job mart. Yeah, we discussed at the beginning about uh, running that PhD member with uh, Fluid Sims, and in fact, the job mart here has been really active. Um, we're in Vancouver, so maybe, you know, uh, it was a bit of a question mark, would it be as busy as it was as LA last year? Mm -hmm. But actually, I think 
it benefited a lot from the Canadian companies being here, but also a heck of a lot of the LA companies actually flew up here and were doing recruitments, and we're actually off to one of those parties tonight. So it's actually a really great place, as always, to go if you're interested in getting a job. Well, that basically wraps it up right now from Seagraph in Vancouver, but as we mentioned before, we've got a lot of great coverage coming up, a lot of fantastic interviews with facilities, filmmakers, and more that we'll be rolling out in the coming weeks and months. Uh, as always, we appreciate you taking the time to watch us. Let's head back to the studio and Angie. Thanks for that, guys. And I should have said earlier that all of our podcasts, the FX podcast, the RC and the VFX show are all on our site, FX Guide, and in the iTunes store. So just search for FX Guide. Until next time, see ya. For more industry news, in-depth features, podcasts and forums, check out fxguide.com. And for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.